0: Good morning, everybody. Hey, who's glad to be at church today? Oh, come on. Give Jesus the best praise. He deserves all the praise. Hey, it's so good to be with you all at church today. My name's Caleb. If I haven't had the privilege to meet you, I'd love to meet you after the service, but I get to serve as one of the pastors here at City Hope, and I'm just honored to be able to spend some time with you all this morning, and today we are in the series that we've been in for the last several weeks called counter culture. But before we get into that, I got a couple of things that I want to just point out to you that are going on around the church that I want to be sure you don't miss out on. And the first thing is that today is growth track, step one. Now, look at your neighbor and say, "Growth growth track. And look at your other neighbor and with a little more energy, say, step one. All right, today's Growth Track Step 1, and if you're wondering what that is all about, it's like, hey, maybe you've been kind of kicking the tires and looking under the hood to try to decide if this is the church for you, and in Growth Track Step 1, you can learn more about who we are as a church, what we believe, you can can learn about who we're accountable to, and um, you can learn more about membership. It's also the pathway that we have that helps people join what we call our dream team here at church, and that's our team of volunteers that serve every service to make all of the that goes on around here possible and also serves throughout our community and outreach. And, and if, you want to, if, if you're saying like, hey, how can I be a part of that? How can I serve? I have some gifts that I wanna use. You can find out all the information you need to know about that in Growth Track Step one today, and that's happening after every service. We also have water baptism today going on after every service. And this is something that we believe as a church, this is a step that we should all take at some point in our spiritual journey that Jesus teaches us, by example, that we should be water baptized. And, and we don't personally believe that the water is what saves you, but we believe that it's a symbol and that it's a sign to everyone around that I'm a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And so we would love to celebrate that with you today. Um, in the middle of our lobby is a water baptism table, and you can get more information. Maybe you want to get baptized today and you weren't prepared. We actually have clothes and like everything that you could need for that. All you have to do is stop at that table Later in the service, we'll we'll give you an opportunity to do that towards the end today. And then the last thing is that we have First Wednesday this week at 7 p.m. And First Wednesday is always an awesome time. It takes place the, the first Wednesday of every month. That's why it's called First Wednesday, right? And so it's an awesome time that we have together of worship and coming together as a church body to worship the Lord. And it's just such a great time. But today we are in part five of the series that we've been in counterculture. And throughout this series, we've been been pulling a lot from the book of Daniel. And we've been talking about how do we stand firm and love well? How do we live counterculture lives without being like a jerk to everybody else around us, right? Like how do we stand firm, love well, living a stand-up life in a bow-down world? And we've been looking at the book of Daniel a lot, talking about different stories and things from that book. And today is no different. We're going to look at the book of Daniel, chapter 6. Before we get into that, I want you to know that the first part of the message is really going to be just setting us up for the second half, where uh, the first part, we're just going to kind of go verse by verse. To kind of find out everything that's going on, get some context, and then we're going to talk about in the second half of the message, really the title of the message today, which is choosing God's way, and if you're taking notes, you can write that as kind of the heading for your message notes today, it's choosing God's way, that's the the topic we're going to cover, but let's get into it in Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom With three administrators over them, one whom was Daniel. So when we look at this verse, what we see is that Daniel is now serving under King Darius. King Darius is the fourth king that Daniel has served under during his time in Babylon. And what he's doing is he's appointing 120 of these satraps. What they what that is is it's a word for a type of governor in that Babylon kingdom, and he's appointing them to oversee. But then another tier above those 120 leaders are three administrators. One of them just so happens to be Daniel. And it's important that we understand that because what's happened is Daniel is appointed to a position of power where he's he's directly uh, reporting to the king. And then he's overseeing these 120 governors who are then ruling the kingdom. And what we see is that the satraps were made accountable to them, to the administrators, so that the king might not suffer loss. So important to understand, remember, Daniel's an Israelite, okay? So what that means is like he was taken captive from his home and he was brought to Babylon as as you could say as a servant or as a slave. And now he's risen to this place of power where he's one of three administrators who report directly to the king. Like, that's a pretty big deal. He's a foreigner in this land. And instead of just being a servant, he's now in this position of power. And so he's, he's in this position to help the king. And what this shows us is that Daniel obviously has the favor of God on his life because he was able to be moved to this position in his situation. And it says, Now Daniel was so distinguished, he so distinguished himself among the administrators and the other rulers, the satraps, by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So he, he's a guy of integrity. He's sharp. He gets the job done. He's good. He's exceptional. And the king is impressed. The king is impressed with Daniel, and he's got big plans for Daniel's future. He wants to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. And so because of this, the other administrators and rulers, satraps, they tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel. So this is where we kind of see a little bit of drama sort of start to unfold in this story. They get jealous or they get envious of Daniel because he's so exceptional that he's obviously favored by the king because the king wants to make him over the entire kingdom at some point. And so they become jealous and and they start trying to find grounds for charges against Daniel. Like I think of it as like they're trying to dig up some dirt on Daniel. They're trying to find some skeletons in his closet to try to make him look bad. I'm trying to make him uh, find charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs. But look, they were unable to do so. They weren't able to find anything bad about Daniel. And so what I think is important for us to understand is that I, I can imagine that these, these rulers, these other rulers, they're having these, this jealousy and this envy, and they're having thoughts like, who does Daniel think he is? Like, who, he's, he's a foreigner. Like, he's not even one of us, and now he's my boss? Like, I don't know, maybe in your job situation, you can kind of, maybe kind of relate to that. Like, I've I've been here a long time and now this new guy's coming in and he's my boss? Like, what's up with that? Like, they're they're a little bit jealous about this. And so what they're doing is they're beginning to scheme. They're setting a plot against Daniel to try to make him look bad, right? Because they're jealous of him and, and they don't like him. But what the Bible tells us is that they weren't able to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So he was a man of integrity. He was trustworthy. He could get the job done. He was dependable. He could be counted on. And so finally, what they said was, was we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel. Like, we're never going to find anything bad about him. We're not going to be able to make him look bad, unless it it has something to do with the law of his God. In other words, what they're saying is, unless we make him stand up for his faith. We put him in a situation where he has to stand for his faith and he has to choose. But I, I think it's important that they say this because I think there was some real, real envy. There was some real jealousy that was like very real that was going on. But I think if we get to the core of why they really didn't like Daniel, like what it really was, I think it's kind of surrounded by some jealousy and stuff. But I think really at the core what it is is they, they don't like his faith. Because they have a different religion. They have, a, they have different gods. They have different beliefs. And ultimately, they really just don't like Daniel's faith. They, they actually despise his faith. They don't agree with him. They don't believe him. And so they've kind of got it out for him because Daniel's the, cop, the type of guy who stands for his faith. Like, he won't budge off of his faith. So it's really his faith they don't like. And so these administrators and satraps They win as a group. So I can almost imagine them. They're forming their posse, right? They get together. Nobody likes Daniel. Hey, let's all stick together. We're going to go to the king, and notice kind of some flattery here that they're using. They say, oh, may King Darius live forever. Like, they're kind of kissing up to him right here. And they say, we we got something to tell you. The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, the governors, all of us have come together, and we've all agreed. Now, I've, I've highlighted this part right here because... They tell the king, hey, we've all agreed on what we're about to present to you right now. But truth be told, they haven't all agreed because Daniel's one of the administrators and he doesn't agree. He actually doesn't even know that this is going on right now because what they're doing is they're plotting against him. They're trying to make him look bad. And so they're using flattery. They're using manipulation. They're using all kinds of things to try to scheme against Daniel. And, it, and so they say, we've all agreed that the king should issue an edict. And enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any God or human beings during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty. I just see that again as like they're just kissing up. Like they're really kissing up. Like if anybody prays to anyone else except for you, your majesty, they shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse and I hear the lion's den, my brain just goes, dun, 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 (laughs) Because like that that's like the whole point of the story. So I need y'all to help me out. I'm gonna read it again, and then y'all are gonna be the dun dun dun, okay? Ready? So if they pray to any other human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, they shall be thrown into the lion's den. That was good. That was great. So I, I just thought we'd have a little fun with it because. It's important to realize that the, the, the lion's den, this is kind of the story that many of you have possibly heard of before, is the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And, and this is maybe a part that you never really focused on, is everything that was going up that led to the point where Daniel ends up in the lion's den. And so, they, so they, they're getting the king to issue this edict. And the, the king then says, it says, now your majesty, they tell him, issue the decree, put it in writing, so that it cannot be altered. In other words, make it a real law, like make it a real thing in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Put it, put it in writing, make it a law so that it cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. And so what we're seeing up to this point is that all of this stuff is kind of unfolding around Daniel. All this stuff is kind of happening around Daniel. And now Daniel kind of enters the story right here. And what we see right here is that Daniel finds out about what's going on. He finds out that he's not supposed to pray to his God or else he could be thrown in the lion's den. And he also finds out that these other leaders and administrators, that they have been scheming against him. He finds out that this decree and this edict has been published. And now Daniel has to decide what is he going to do. And really Daniel's faced with a question here, and it's this question, will he stand for his spiritual convictions or will he bow to cultural demands? And I think this is a very important question even for us all to answer right now, especially in the world that we're living in, is will we stand for our spiritual convictions or will we bow to cultural commands? Because we're living in a society today in our nation where there's things going on in our world where, where culture is trying to demand us to bow. Culture is trying to conflict with our faith and come against our faith and put us in situations where, where, where we would have to bow to our spiritual convictions and go along with culture. And so we have to ask ourselves as we're living our lives every day, am I going to bow to the cultural demands or am I going to stand for my spiritual convictions? Like what's it going to be? Because I think that there's a lot going on in our nation right now. Like there's a lot of different movements happening and things that are, that are stirring and things that are going on where we're having to face this question as Christians. And I think it's important that we wrestle with this very difficult question today because we need to determine and we need to decide, how are we going to handle this? Right. If you're not already facing it, there's probably coming a day soon where you're going to face this question, where you're going to have to ask yourself, okay, what do I do? Do I stand for my spiritual convictions and maybe lose my job? And maybe you lose that relationship, or do I bow to the cultural demands? Like, what do I do? And there's people who say, hey, if you don't bow to these cultural demands, we're going to cancel you. That, that means you're, they, they view you as somebody who's full of hate, you're hateful, and, and they they have this view at you. And, and I think we just have to—we have to determine, like, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle that? And I want to be very clear before I say this, but We always like to say at this church, we say, everyone is welcome here and anything is possible. In fact, like we pray, God, please bring lost people through these doors, people who are far from you and don't let them be judged when they come here. Don't let them be met with a judgmental eye, but let them experience your love, experience your peace. Hey, we, just so you know, we believe God's word. We believe what it says is sin is sin. We believe that and we preach that, but we also love people. And so we say, Hey, even if you don't believe this Bible, even if you don't believe what I'm teaching right now today, you still belong here because God loves you. He has a plan for your life and we want you to be here in the presence of God. But there's a movement that's, that's taken place and it's like, hey, if you don't call me by that pronoun or if you don't say it the way I want it said, then you're going to be canceled. You're going to be hated. And I'm not saying this to be political but what I am saying is, is maybe that's you today. Maybe you're one of those people and you're in that situation. I want you to know that God loves you and we love you. And God sees you where you are. He loves you where you are, but He loves you too much to leave you there. He wants to take you to a better place. He wants to put, bring you to green pastures and to still waters. God has a purpose and God has a plan for your life. And, and so, as we're wrestling with these things as believers, we have to ask ourselves how do we stand firm in our spiritual convictions? but still love people well. Right. Like, how can we love people well, even in all of this that's going on in our world? And as I was preparing for this message, I've, I've heard stories about teachers that, and maybe you're here today and you're experiencing this as a teacher, but I've heard stories about teachers that because of what their school district is asking them to do in, in the classroom and how to behave themselves, they're feeling like they're basically having to just check their faith at the door. Like, I'm a Christian until I walk into that classroom and then I have to leave it at the door. And we have to ask ourselves, like, what are we going to do? How, we have to answer this question. I'm hearing about business people, that their bosses, they're asking them to lie. They're asking them to falsify numbers. Maybe sign a document that goes against their spiritual convictions. And if they don't do it, they could possibly lose their job. Like, how, are we, how do we as Christians handle that? How do we deal with that that when, when we're being put in a situation where we have to choose our faith or culture? How do we handle that situation? And that's what I want us to talk about because... Rarely throughout history has, has God's way and culture's way ever gone together. Right. It usually clashes. Right. And I think in our nation, like, at least for me, it's kind of new. Because for a long time, our nation and our culture was the type of culture where it didn't clash as hard, like in your face with the faith up until recently in this time. And so we're having to answer the question How do we stand firm in our faith, but still love people well in the culture that we're living in? And I'm so thankful for God's word, for the book of Daniel, because Daniel's facing a situation that we could very well be facing today, or maybe even tomorrow when we go to our jobs, and we can look at the life of Daniel, and that's what we're going to do for the rest of this message. We're going to look at this story, and we're going to answer the question, how can we choose God's way? Because God's way is better. So how can we Choose God's Way, and that's the title of our message. I've got three points for you today, but warning, my third point also has three points. So really, I've got six points. But hey, either way, it's going to be good. Let's get into it. The first thing that we learn from Daniel about choosing God's way is that God's way must become our way. It must become our way. And the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Finally, these men said will never find any basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now, this verse really stood out to me in preparation. And I love this verse because basically what they're saying is we're never going to be able to make Daniel look bad unless we make him stand up for his faith. Unless we put him in a situation where he has to choose the king or his God. His boss or his God? His, his career, or his God? The relationship, or his God? Unless we put him in a situation like that, we're not going to be able to make him look bad. They obviously had enough foresight, and they knew Daniel enough to know that he would choose his faith. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made the scheme. And so that tells us that Daniel had the kind of reputation that he was the kind of man who wasn't going to budge from his faith. He was a man who was firmly planted in his faith. He was firmly planted on the rock of Jesus Christ, and he wasn't going to budge in his faith. Otherwise, they wouldn't have even made this whole scheme up. They knew that that's the kind of guy he was, that he was not going to budge, and that was the only way that they were going to make him look bad. And as I I look at that, I say, say, wow, I want to be that kind of person. Like when we leave here today, let us be the kind of people who we're more firmly planted in our faith than ever before. That that our teachers and our classmates and our teammates and our, our coworkers when they look at us and when they see our lives that they would say, that guy right there, he is he's a guy who stands firm in his faith. Hey, that girl right there, she's not going to budge on her faith. She's going to stand for her God regardless of what her, what comes her way. Let that be the kind of reputation we have. Let us be that kind of people. Because because Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Notice he said, those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice. Because it's not just enough to hear God's word, we have to also do God's word. We have to do what it tells us to do. And if we do that, we'll be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock because when the rain comes down, when the storms of culture and the storms of society come our way and, and the winds blow and they beat against that house, it did not fall. It will not fall because it had a firm foundation on the rock of Jesus Christ. And I just want to submit to you today that if we're going to stand in our society that we're living in, if we're going to stand firm and love well, if we're going to choose God's way and, and we're going we're to love people well and we're going to stand firm in our faith, We have to start by having a firm foundation. We have to start by being rooted and being planted in in Jesus Christ to have a firm foundation on the rock of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to stand in the society that we're living in today. And I really think that this is a time for us where where we're really having to decide and answer the question like, am I going to go all in? Will I go all in? Because this is not a time, the days that we're living in, that this is not a time for cultural Christianity. It's not the time for us to straddle the fence and have one foot in the faith and one foot in the culture. It's not time. In fact, the Bible is very clear about that in Revelation. It says, I know the things that you do that you're neither hot nor cold. He's saying, you're you're not all in for me, but you're also not just completely far away from me. You're kind of straddling the fence. You're in the middle. And he said, I wish that you were one or the other. I wish you were either on fire for me and like all in, or I wish you would just not have anything to do with me, basically is what he's saying. That's a hard truth to, to recognize, but that's what it's saying here. And he says, but since you're lukewarm, since you're, since you're in the middle, you got one foot in culture and one foot in faith, you're, you're, you're kind of in the middle. He says, you, that means you're like lukewarm water. And since you're like that, you're neither hot nor cold. He says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. And that's very firm words that we hear there. But really what this is telling us is, hey, it's time to go all in. It's time to take that leap and to go all in, to take that step that God has for us. And so I think it's really time for us to ask ourselves this question. Have I made God's way my way? Have I adopted God's way to become my way? Because I can't just keep doing what I want to do and following my own way and then sprinkle a little Jesus on it, right? Oh. It it just don't work that way. I have to adopt God's way as my way. And so we have to answer this question. Have I made God's way my way? The second thing we see is that God's way puts us in a spiritual battle. Good news for you, everybody. God's way puts you in a spiritual battle, okay? I'm being sarcastic. That's not good news. And I wish I had better news for you. And I want this to kind of serve as a warning for you. Like, maybe you've taken some medicine before, and on the, on the medicine bottle on the back, there's a warning label. Does anybody ever read the warning labels? I feel like most people don't read. A few of you in the room, most of you don't. I was taking some medicine the other day, and I've taken it a long time, and I looked on the back, and I was like, what's the warning label? I don't even know how I was looking, but it said, like, liver damage. I'm like, oh, wow, I wish I would have known that sooner. And then I was taking another medicine one time, and it's like, brain damage. Like I feel like we never really pay attention to the warning label, but... If, if God's way were a bottle of medicine, it would have a warning label on the back. And I'm gonna read it to you. God's way puts us in a spiritual battle, everybody. Anytime you take a stand for God, the enemy is gonna attack. Anytime you take a stand for God, the enemy's gonna come your way. It's gonna put you in the crosshairs of the enemy. It's gonna put you in a spiritual battle. And I know some of you, you're thinking, well, why would I stand for God? Like, why would I invite that into my life, right? But we see this a lot. In fact, uh, one thing that comes to mind immediately is every year as we prepare for our Easter services, our Easter services are our largest services of the year on that weekend. We have more people come in than any other given weekend, and we have more salvations happen that weekend than than any other given weekend. And you know what? The enemy does not like it. And because of that, many of our pastors and our leaders and dream team leaders and prayer team members and just different people that are really vital to what we do on that weekend, they end up dealing with spiritual attacks. And it it can almost seem like coincidence, like, oh, man, like this is happening and that's happened. And we have to recognize it for what it is, is it's a spiritual attack. And the enemy wants to intimidate us. I think it's a very specific spirit. It's the spirit of intimidation. The enemy wants to intimidate you. And this, the spirit of intimidation brings three things. First, it brings confusion. The enemy wants you to be confused. And we see this in the book of, the, of Genesis all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve. Where the serpent, the enemy in the form of a serpent, shows up to Adam and Eve and tries to bring confusion to them by saying, Did God really say? Yes. Did God really say? tell you to do that. He brings confusion around what God's word was to them. So the enemy wants to bring confusion to you. The, the spirit also wants to paralyze you in fear. It wants, to, it wants you to be so afraid of taking that leap. It wants you to be afraid of going all in for God. It wants you to be afraid of taking a stand for God so that you'll just stay somewhere in the middle. Because sometimes that middle ground is a little bit comfortable. And if you stay in that, that comfortable place, it's like, I don't have to be afraid. I'm safe here. But that's a work of the enemy to make you feel comfortable in that middle ground so that you don't go all in because it takes a leap of faith. And lastly, that spirit, it wants to, it wants to cower you down. It wants to make you a coward to where you shrink back from your faith, where, where you back down and you say, I'm, I'm not going to take a stand. I'm not going to stand up against the enemy. It, it wants to intimidate you. And so I want this to serve as a warning that anytime you take a stand for God, the enemy is going to attack. And that might sound like terrible news, but I also have some good news from that. And that is that the enemy is nothing but just a bully. Like he's all bark and he's no bite. Because the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 10, Jesus said this. He says, I have given you authority. Hey, look at your neighbor and say, Authority. authority. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, authority. authority. I've given you authority, he says, to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy, look, nothing will harm you. Come on, church. It's time for us to take our stand because we carry the name of Jesus. And so when the enemy tries to attack, we can fight back with the spiritual weapons that God gives us. We carry the name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus' promise to us is that nothing will harm us. And so we can take our stand and not live in fear in the name of Jesus. Amen, everybody? And so we have to ask ourselves this question. Am I ready to trust God with my actions? Because for you to go all in, you have to trust God. And so we have to ask ourselves, and I think this is a really good question for us to wrestle with today. Am I ready to trust God with my actions? Here's the third one. And again, this is the point that has three points, okay? And it's that God's way almost always will look different. And I think most of us can can agree that the way God does things and the way that culture does things rarely agrees. Rarely does it come together. In fact, the way God does things and the way we do things rarely agrees. Often, we don't understand what God is doing because His way will look different And so I want us to take a second and go back to the book of Daniel. There's three things that Daniel shows us in how he chose God's way. And the first thing that Daniel did was this. And it's that we have to wait on God's perspective. That's that first sub point is we have to wait on God's perspective. We see this in Daniel 6 verse 10. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, remember where we left off was that he was learning about what was going on. Now he has a question he has to answer. What did he do? When he learned about what happened, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Now, it's important for us to note that the windows were open towards Jerusalem. This is a key to us that this was probably his prayer room. This is a place where he would go to pray. And so, what Daniel does is he immediately goes to his prayer room, and what he's doing is he's waiting on God. He's waiting for God to give him perspective. And so, like, I think my first response would be if I find out that someone's scheming against me and someone's coming against me, I think my first response was I'd probably go to the king and try to convince him. I'd probably try to go defend myself and change his mind because, I mean, think about it. Daniel has favor with the king. So I think I would have probably tried to take matters into my own hands and go to the king myself, but Daniel doesn't do that. Instead, he goes to his prayer room to wait on God, to try to wait on God to speak. And what I like to call this is what he did is he was creating God's space. He was creating space for God to speak and for God to move in this situation because I think sometimes in our culture, that's the best thing that we can possibly do is we can just step back and rather trying to take matters in our own hands is that we just step back and we say, okay, God, I need your perspective. We step back and we create that God space for, for him to move and to show us what to do. And a lot of times when we're facing these cultural de- demands, there's a pressure that feels like you've got to do it and you've got to do it now. Like make the decision now. Say it now. Sign the document now. Tell the lie and do it Now. But like when we're facing these situations, what I want you to understand, I want you to be empowered with this, is that we don't have to operate on culture's timetable. We can operate on God's timetable. And so for a second, I just want to give you a couple of very practical things that I think that that you can use, and I wanna give you this because I want you to be equipped with things that you can use when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, whatever situation you may step into. But here's some practical ways you can create that God space. And the first thing is you can always say, hey, I'm gonna need a minute. Like, give me just a second. You can always say, let me get back with you later. And I know this is super practical. It almost is so so practical that it doesn't seem spiritual but like it actually is very spiritual because what we're doing is we're not taking control of a situation and we're letting God have control. We can say, hey, let me get back with you tomorrow on this. Like, I, I don't feel comfortable making that decision now, so let me get back with you tomorrow. Maybe it's something on social media. Maybe it's something that you know about is going on and you're scrolling and you see it and rather than feed into the comments right now, you say, hey, you know, I'm gonna file that in the back of my mind, but I'm not gonna feed into those comments right now. Like, I'm not even going to read those right now. And I'm definitely not going to reply right now, right? Because then I might say something dumb that I regret. And so I'm just going to create that space for God to move. And here's my all-time favorite that I like to use. You'll hear me use it is, hey, let me, let me check with my wife, okay? <laughs> Guys, you can use that one. It works. So if you ever hear me say, hey, let me check with Danielle, that's a nice way for me to say no, right? Pretty much. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Because I don't want y'all to feel that way if I say that. So I'm just kidding, Okay. But she does the same thing, and it works every time. Like, really. It, and what it does is it creates space. Like, seriously, though, if there's something I feel like I need to pray about and someone's asking me something, I'll say, hey, let me talk to my wife and get back with you on that. And she's happy, and I'm happy too, okay? Because I do that. And so these are just some really practical ways that you can create that space. And what we're doing is what the Bible tells us to do when it says, be still and know that I am God, is you're being still. You're creating space to be still, And as I was preparing this message, um, I really felt like the Holy Spirit wanted to say this next thing to somebody today that's in the room. And I don't know who it is or what the situation is. But I just felt like someone needs to hear this, that you don't have to fight anymore. You don't have to try to defend yourself anymore. You don't have to try to fight against your boss you don't have to try to stand up for yourself or defend yourself in that, in, in that relationship or that situation. You don't have to fight anymore because the Bible tells us in Exodus 14 that God will fight the battle for you. And our job is not to fight. So you can put the dukes down and you can be at rest and realize that it's not your job to fight. It's God's job to fight on your behalf. And you say, but what about me? Like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do in the situation? Like, can God fight and I give him a piece of my mind? Like, can, can we do it like that? You know? Well, the next part of the verse actually tells us, it says, for you, what should you do? It says, keep your mouth shut, okay? I just want to let y'all read it instead of y'all hear me say it first, okay? It's, but it says, for you, keep your mouth shut. And, and really, like, that's the message translation. And I really like that verbiage because sometimes it's like, I feel like I got to get my opinion in there. Oh, I I wish I would have said that. But sometimes one of the best things that we can do is like keep our mouth shut and just let God do all of the talking. And so what we're doing is we're creating space for God's perspective. And it's so important that we get God's perspective because when I get God's perspective, I experience God's presence. And his presence is what changes things in our lives. Amen, everybody? Here's a second sub point that Daniel did in choosing God's way and it's ask for God's help. So I want you to, going back to this story, it tells us that three times a day, remember he went to his prayer room, and then three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And I think this is really interesting right here because Daniel does this right after hearing this new law that says if you pray to anybody else other than the king, King Darius, you're going to be thrown into this lion's den. What does Daniel do? He immediately goes to pray. Like, he says, oh, I can't pray to anybody else? Okay, well, I'm going to go pray to my God anyways. Like, I'm going to go pray to my God anyways. And, and what we see here in Daniel's situation is that prayer was his first response, not his last resort. And I think it's so important in our lives that we make prayer our first response, not our last resort. And in my life, one thing that I see, I'm going to be really honest and transparent with you. Even in my own life, there's been times and still are times where I try to fix everything myself. I try to take control of the situation myself. And then if I can't handle it, then I bring in the big guns, right? God, I need you, right? But what if I just went to him first? Like, what if my first response was prayer, And I didn't try to take control of the situation. And that's what Daniel does here, which I think is is really interesting because because he's literally risking his life by doing this. By going and praying, he's literally risking his life of being thrown into the lion's den. And and what we'll see in a minute is that ultimately this is what led him to the lion's den. But I think that Daniel was just so desperate for a word from God that that he would do anything to hear from it. Because he needed God's word in this situation. He didn't know how to handle the situation and he needed God to speak into this situation. And I think ultimately, like, I think Daniel knew it was more dangerous for him to not get a word from God than for him to be put in that lion's den. Oh, yes. That's how serious Daniel was about his prayer. That's how serious Daniel was about his faith. That's how serious he was about creating that space and listening for God's perspective and asking God to help him was that he would put his life on the line to do it. And so I don't think that Daniel was praying a casual prayer. Like, I don't think he was just throwing it up like, all right, Jesus, need you to help me. Like we do oftentimes, like I do oftentimes. I think Daniel was fervently praying into this situation. I think he was desperately seeking the face of God. And in the situations that we're facing in our life, I think that we've gotta get serious about prayer. I think that we've got to desperately seek the face of God for a word for the situations that we're in. Because there may be some of you today who you're facing, like you're resonating with everything I'm saying because you're facing a situation right now where you could possibly lose your job. Or maybe you could possibly lose that relationship with your son or your daughter. Or you could lose your relationship with a close friend and you're trying to figure out what to do, can I tell you the best thing that you could do is seek God's face? Because when I seek God's help, we find our way forward. Yeah. If you want to know, how do I move forward in that situation? Start by seeking God, asking God what he would have you do. When I seek God's help, I find my way forward. And the third and last point that we see from Daniel in choosing God's way is that we have to yield to God's work. And that's ultimately what Daniel does is he yields to God's work. Now we see that he was in the prayer room. What we don't read in the Bible, what it does not tell us is what God spoke to him or what God showed him or how God moved in that moment when he prayed. But it's evident that God must have showed up in some kind of way by his actions. Because what we see happen is that the leaders, the ones who created this whole scheme against Daniel, they come by his room, they see and hear him praying and immediately take that information to the king. They take that to the king, and they're like, you've got to to put him into the lion's den. It's the the decree. It's the law. This is what has to happen. And what we read in the Bible, it's verses 10 through 20. I don't have time to give it to you today, but if you want to read it on your own, it's chapter 6, verse 10 through 20. What we see there is that the king actually favored Daniel and loved Daniel, and so he actually worked really hard and did everything he could to try to save Daniel from the situation to try to get him out of this situation, but ultimately what it came down to was the king, he, he, he didn't have the power to change the law that had been decreed. He didn't have the power to change it, and so in this situation, because he didn't bow down to the culture, Daniel gets put into this lion's den, and, and really what, what I like to say is like, I think he kind of followed God into the lion's den. And that may not really make sense, but I think it's important for us to understand that when we get a word from God, we have to submit to that word and we have to let that word do its work. And we, and that takes trust, right? It takes trust and it takes faith in God to let God do, do his work. But I think it's just so powerful for us to just release control and allow God to work, Amen. to just release control and allow God to move in the situation Because when I get a word from God, I have to just trust him and let him do his work. And there's a book called The Prisoner in the Third Cell by God named Gene Edwards. And in this book, there's a quote that I think is really good. It's a good question for us to ask ourselves today. He says, the question is not, why is God doing this? Why is he like this? The question is not, why does he not answer me? The question is not, I need him desperately. Why does he not come rescue me? Nor is it, why does God allow injustice? The question before this house is this. Will you follow a God that you do not understand? Because Daniel followed God into that lion's den, even though I think in his humanity, he probably didn't understand. He probably didn't understand why this was happening, why he was being led in this situation. And you know what we see is that in this situation, not only did Daniel follow God, but He never spoke a word. He never tried to defend himself. He never tried to use the influence that he had with the king to change his mind or to to work something out on his behalf. He kept his mouth closed and he just allowed God to work. He just allowed God to move. And and it's so important that we listen to what God speaks to us for our situation because in this instance, what we see is that Daniel obviously felt led to just keep his mouth closed. But there may be another situation where, where God's saying, hey, you need to speak up. And he may be giving you a word to say to somebody. God's word will look different for every situation. And that's why it's so important. But the question that we all have to answer is, when that word comes, will we let it do its work? Will will we follow God even when we don't understand? And that's really where it comes down to faith, everybody. Is will I follow God even when I don't understand? So when we go back to the scenario of Daniel... What we see unfold is that they go and they open the lion's den to to see what's going on. And what they expected was a very dead Daniel, right? That's what they expected to see. But in fact, when you read the story, what you see is that God was with him in that lion's den. In that difficult situation, God was in there with him. And he came out of that den alive, well Whole, without a single scratch on his body. It was a miracle. It was miraculous that God delivered him from that situation. It was miraculous. And I don't even think that that's the most miraculous part of the story. Because what we see next, what we read next is that he comes out of that den and everyone who saw that he was alive out of it, remember they had different faith. They had different gods. But everyone who saw that God delivered him gave all the glory to God. They said, praise be to the God of Daniel. I think the greatest miracle was that those believers, those unbelievers saw the power of God and they gave him glory. Not that, not that Daniel was set free from the lion's den. Like, praise God for that. But God received all the glory at the end of the day. And you know, there may be some of you today who you're in the middle of a lion's den, so to speak. You may be in a really difficult situation and you don't see your way out. My hope and my prayer for you is that God will miraculously deliver you in the same way that he did Daniel. And that's my prayer for you and I believe that he can do it. But there's also times where we might come out of the den with a scratch on us. It doesn't always unfold the same way that it did for Daniel in this situation. Like sometimes you lose the job. Kind of a sidebar though, maybe the job was the den in the first place, right? Sometimes you lose the relationship. Like sometimes on paper, it doesn't really all add up and make sense and it seems unfair. But the most important thing of all, the greatest thing of all, is that the people who surround you who are far from God and who are unbelievers, the greatest miracle that could ever happen is that they see God's power and they see God at work in you and they give Him all the glory and that He gets all the praise. And so get this, when we live, this is where I'm going to close, when we live counterculture lives everyone around sees the power of Jesus and God gets all the glory. Amen? Amen, Amen, everybody. Hey, if you would, bow your heads. Let's bow in prayer. I want to pray for you. God, I just ask that you would speak to every person right now. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to every heart. Lord, I pray that you would speak what each and every person needs to hear right now from your word. Lord, your word has gone forth. We've heard your word today. God, speak to us. Show us what you have for us. Shape us, mold us. God, I pray for every person who's in a situation right now where they're having to decide. Will they stand for their spiritual convictions or will they bow to cultural demands? God, I pray today that they would make room for you to move in the situation. God, that you would speak, that you would give them clear instruction. God, give them boldness. Give them courage. Give them strength. Give them self-control. God, give them whatever it may be that they need today. Lord, let us leave this place today firmly planted in our faith, standing on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. God, because we know we can't even begin to stand if we don't have our foundation on you. We need you today, Jesus. Can we just take that moment and realize that to remind ourselves, God, we can't do it without you. We need you. We need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. There's situations in my life where I need you. I don't know how to handle it and we need you, God. Maybe you're here today and you don't have that foundation. You can't live a counterculture life because you don't have the foundation of your faith. Your faith isn't firmly planted. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God today. You're far from God. I want you to know today that God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. He was tortured and he was crucified. Nails through his hands and feet so that you could live. He died literally so that you could live. This is the gospel. And the last time I checked, there wasn't a very long line of people who were lining up to die for my sins. But Jesus did what no one else could. The perfect, spotless, sinless son of God. He died on the cross so that we could be free of our sin so that we could have a firm foundation on Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you feel like you wanna begin a relationship with Jesus, you feel that draw, you feel that tug in your heart to begin a relationship with Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if that's you. I'm not gonna single you out. I won't ask you to stand. I won't ask you to come up front. None of that stuff. All I'm gonna do is ask you to make the decision and to lift your hand, to boldly just lift your hand. And then I'm gonna lead us all in a prayer together. So if that's you today, you see your sin, you see what Jesus did for you on the cross, that he made a way for you to be set free, and you want to give your life to Jesus today, on the count of three, lift your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, thank you. I see you. I see you in the back, and you. God bless you. God bless you and you. Anyone else today, I see you. Anyone else, I see you. God bless you. Hey, God's so proud of you. I think he's smiling down at you today. I see you. God bless you. Hey, I'm so proud of you today. God bless you. I see you. Anyone else today? I want to give your life to Jesus. Hey, I'm so proud of you. Let's pray this prayer together, church. Say, Jesus, I need you. I admit I'm a sinner. And I need you to set me free. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross to set me free. Today, I confess my life to you, Jesus. I confess Jesus as Lord. I'm going to build my life for you, on you. That you'll be my firm foundation, a solid rock. Jesus, you died for me. Today, I decide to live for you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live for you the best that I know how. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.